Okay, here we go. The training world is full of technical editing courses that don't teach the high-end creativity that viewers expect. Inside the Edit was created specifically to teach you every single creative skill you'll ever need to mesmerize your audience. Hello again, dear friends. Welcome back for this week's episode of Once Upon a Timeline, the official podcast of Inside the Edit. I hope you're having a great week wherever you are in the world. And thank you for tuning in for this week's discussion on one specific aspect of the art of editing. So, what have we got on the show this week? Well, I think this is something we really need to pay attention to in our daily workflow. I'm calling it our edit ROI, our editing return on investment. I've kind of borrowed a term from the financial world, which I think is is pretty pertinent if we look at it from a creative perspective. You know, as shooting ratios go up and schedules get squeezed, it really is vital that we intelligently plan the numerous creative paths that we go down on any subject. But in my mind, we have to safeguard something that is inside every single one of us, every single editing artist. And that is our creative energy. It is not an unlimited resource, and we need to maximize whatever investment we make every single time we use it. I think this is a very important topic to discuss on this week's show. Any way that we can sharpen and streamline our creativity not only makes us better editors, but also helps us stand out in the highly competitive filmmaking marketplace. Just before that, let me share some Inside the Edit news. I am really excited to announce that this time next week, you'll be able to book a space on the very first Inside the Edit Summer School coming in August. One week, six sessions, 24 hours of creative edit training. Masterclasses, live demos, sequence analysis, daily tasks, it's going to be an amazing whirlwind of creativity. And you'll also get what no other course ever gives you. Pro-level one-to-one feedback. This does not exist anywhere. I'll tell you a bit more about what's on offer after this week's creative discussion. Okay, let's get started. For decades, I have had an obsession with trying to become the best editor that I can be to always reach up and break through the next creative ceiling. But it's also been a fascinating quest to break down and analyze every single possible aspect of this art form and to try and create a pathway for anyone to follow. And after all this time of studying this beautiful art form, I realized that nothing was off the table for me in terms of research. 
I would go into any subject or any philosophy or, or even any other art form if I thought it would help. And so keeping within this spirit of complete and utter freedom when trying to find ways to make us better, this week's creative discussion is from a quite unorthodox perspective. It's actually a part of my personal journey that may resonate with you, dear listener, or it may not. If anything, it's a confession of many of the things that I struggled with on my path up the ladder of creativity. The goal was always to become the very best editor I could be. And I really do remember consciously thinking this in my late teenage years. And so the question that kept me up at night was always, what is standing in my way to unlocking my creative potential? And so I say what comes in today's creative discussion is not a set of rules, as everyone's creative journey is completely unique. And what I struggle with is unlikely to be what you do. But think of it as an honest list of personal behaviours that I noticed within myself that were holding me back. We all have them, we're human, but it's about what we do with them that counts. And it's in this spirit that I hope you take these thoughts. It was an unpleasant moment in my career when it occurred to me that I only have a finite amount of energy in any one day and that if I consistently went over that, nothing good was going to happen. Some years ago, I had come off the back of a long run of intense documentaries and I had quite simply burnt myself out. I'd run myself into the ground by pushing my body and more importantly, my mind way too hard without any break whatsoever. When you start having timelines in your dreams, you know it's time to stop for a while. It was then that my agent asked me if I'd like to try training people on Avid and Final Cut Pro at one of Europe's biggest edit training centers. The hours were way shorter and there was none of the stress of big budget productions and their intense schedules. I jumped in it for the best part of a year and it was here that I got the idea for Inside the Edit, the world's first creative editing course, and not the software training that everyone else was teaching. It was a nice, relaxing year with zero late nights, zero early mornings, and zero high-maintenance clients. And very soon, my batteries were recharged. I dipped my toe back in the editing world with a few short reality TV and entertainment shows, and then took on my first documentary after a year's holiday in the training world. It was good to be back. But if I'm honest, I was also kind of nervous about burning out again. And so I started to look at and study my working practices and do a lot of reading around the subject. Breaking down the internal processes in how I worked was, it was really quite interesting. I started to study where and when my energy was at its highest, how my energy was connected to my creativity, what specific things depleted it, and a ton of other interesting insights. And after doing some digging, it was obvious that there was a lot of clever people out there doing a lot of very clever research about attention, focus, energy, creativity, the mind, and, and hacking peak performance. I read about MRI technology and scanning the brain. I researched flow states and how to achieve them, and even read sports psychology research 
to see if there was anything I could steal and take into creative editing practices. Anything that would not only maximize my creative output, but also stop me from burning out ever again. Just like the research on a big science doc, it turned into a near full-time hobby. It's funny that it sometimes takes a disaster in our lives before we notice what we're doing wrong. And then some deep introspection and self-analysis to build a new path. I remember considering this a new beginning and a chance to rebuild myself from scratch. I started off with that simple goal of not burning out again. But as I said, I soon discovered that that was way too basic a destination. I could actually improve myself as an editor by quite a large percentage, it seemed. I could take this opportunity to fine-tune all of the bad practices I had and up the percentages of my creativity. That sounded like a much bigger and better goal. So those were the kind of broad strokes. Those were the big headlines of discovery. But what were the everyday details that were with me for those 10 hours a day in a pro edit suite? Well, after I started reading, there was some obvious low-hanging fruit. Firstly, I really noticed how my creativity was inextricably linked to my energy levels. I mean, they were like twin brother and sister. They were joined at the hip, utterly inseparable. If I had stayed up late the night before or didn't sleep well, I noticed that when I was staring at the timeline the next day looking for inspiration, the ideas would just trickle through like a stream that's been blocked. I found it incredibly hard to be creative when I was tired. It was like getting blood out of a stone. But conversely, if I'd slept well, my creativity was usually gushing like a torrential river. My neurons would be shooting off here, there and everywhere. So, note to self, I said, no more of your favorite pastime, Paddy. Staying out late with friends or midnight movie fests on a weekday. Keep that to the weekends. Yeah, it was a painful transition, but after just one week, it was ridiculously obvious that it made a huge difference to my creative output. Instead of two variations of how to cut any scene, my mind would be thinking of five before I even knew what was going on. I would sense potential cutting patterns within raw footage at a much more rapid rate. And my articulation with the director would be so much stronger. I really could explain things far deeper. And my feedback was way better. You know, it kind of blew my mind that something so simple could have such an effect on my creativity. If I could see an obvious difference in quality and speed of editing by just making sure Sunday to Thursday I was getting adequate sleep, then what else was possible? And it began to dawn on me for the first time that I'd never really planned a creative life. I know it sounds odd, but I never really sat down and designed a structure for my own optimal creative output. Kind of like what an athlete does, I guess. They are obsessed with their energy. I had pretty much used my body and mind like an inexhaustible creative resource that was never going to end. A well that I could draw from as much as I wanted without any care about it running dry. I never even considered it, if I'm honest. Well, my body had shown me otherwise, and so I had no choice but a rebirth. I needed to become more intelligent 
with my internal resources. And I needed to be a lot smarter when spending every single bit of creative energy throughout the day. I started to look at my creativity like a precious resource, a finite commodity that I shouldn't squander and that I should invest sensibly throughout the day, the week, the month, and indeed my whole career. This, after all, was what I was being paid for. My ability to perform high-level creative editing tasks consistently for at least nine or ten hours a day. And at that level of output, no matter what genre I was working in, planning and attention was needed to build a productive, creative life, I told myself. Next, the friends started sending me research on the, the connection between brain chemistry and diet, and I devoured it as fast as I could get my hands on. Again, it hurt, but I cut out a good 75% of my sugar intake and stopped eating heavy carbs, especially at lunch. Again, it was like a veil being lifted. My mind seemed clearer than it had ever been, and the knock-on effect with my creativity was massive. Has this ever happened to you, dear friends? Because it sure as hell happened to me. You go out for lunch and you order a massive sandwich or some pasta or anything with heavy carbs. And then by three o'clock, you can barely keep your eyes open in the edit suite and you're, you're just dribbling over your keyboard. That post-lunch dip had just become part of my editing day, something I just had to get through and try not to fall asleep in front of the client. This was another win, but easy it was not. After an entire career spent in the post houses of Soho in central London, where 90% of the UK's filmmaking community were located, you kind of get to see how editors eat. So many editors, myself included, ate bad and ate quickly. As very often there's a deadline and they're getting pressure from clients to get back on the timeline. This again was something I had control over. I could make this change so that at least half of the week my body was running like a finely tuned engine. Finely tuned engines that are fueled correctly, run faster and go for longer. They don't break down anywhere near as often and are able to perform at a much higher rate. And that, of course, was my goal. It's all of ours, isn't it? We want to work on the best films and make them the best they can be. We're only as good as our last film, and so we have to maximize our percentages of creativity, no matter where we can find them. I'm not ashamed to say that I really wanted to rise up into the higher echelons of the editing world and at least stand near the other editing artists that I so admired and whose work I absolutely loved and respected. And if cleaning up my diet and getting to bed on time was part of the price to pay to accelerate my creative abilities and not burn out, then I was willing to pay it. I remember reading about the British cycling team, a team who was so bad that they'd never really won any major competition in the hundred or so years of the sport's history. But a few decades ago, a new coach came in with a philosophy he called the aggregation of marginal gains. It was about looking at every single thing the team did and improving small percentages across the board. But here was the interesting thing. It wasn't just about cycling technique. It was their diet 
their clothing, their sleep cycles, the type of liquid they used to rub on their tires, even the dust levels in the vans they used to transport the competition bikes around in. Everyone thought the guy was crazy, but within just two years, the British cycling team won every single medal and competition there was and went on the greatest winning streak in the sport's history. Now, I've never watched cycling and it's never been a sport that has ever appealed to me. But when I read about that philosophy, I was absolutely blown away. I could adopt that myself, I remember thinking, and take a razor to cut away the things that were standing between me and my maximum creative output. Those sweet spots, the creative energy or workflows that we all feel when conditions are absolutely optimum within us and we're just flying. We look at the clock one minute and it's 10 a.m. in our edit suite and then we look at it again and it's like 11 at night. We're so in the creative zone that we just don't notice that a whole day has gone by. How could I prolong those moments for as long as possible? What would it take to streamline all of my creative energy? And what would be the effect on my career? All interesting questions which I pondered. And next, I turned to my actual workflow. The everyday repetitive cycles of watching raw footage, building assemblies, polishing a rough cut, and then perfecting with the fine cut process didn't really seem to me to have any bottlenecks or dead ends that hampered my creativity outside of the occasional watching a particularly boring or badly shot set of raw footage. I've always kind of felt alive on the timeline, if I'm honest. But one thing did crop up out of that process, and it was another big light bulb moment for me. I realized that I needed to do a kind of psychological time and motion study to see what was holding up my productivity. Because much as I didn't want to admit it, I had a bunch of energy vampires in my daily environment that I was really struggling with. These vampires sucked so much time out of my consciousness and demanded attention. So what were these nefarious creativity killers? Well, I'm sure you can relate because I think everybody can. It was the varying forms of digital distraction. Emails, texts, social media, the smartphones, the whole lot. I had somehow not noticed that I'd let a highly addictive and distracting noise-making miniature computer into my pocket and into my edit suite that used every single psychological trick in the book to get me to play with it. My distraction levels were at times ridiculously high and every single time I checked that thing, my attention span, my focus and therefore my creativity was absolutely destroyed. It was like rolling down the side of a mountain, getting up, brushing myself off and trying to climb it again. If the director went out of the room for a few minutes, boom, I'd be straight on it. A lot of very smart people have designed this to be as addictive as possible and give me a huge hit of the neurotransmitter dopamine into the reward circuits of my mind. How the hell was I going to compete with that? Now, don't get me wrong, I love these things. But for me, me personally, I just couldn't focus anywhere near as well with them vying for my attention. They were competing with my films, and I saw the deleterious effect that they had on my creativity. It was time for a digital fast in the edit suite, and I would simply just turn them back on at lunchtime and at the end of the day. Again, 
It was difficult. It was like being weaned off a drug. But after a short, painful while, I'll be honest, I didn't even notice. But the most important point was the effect it had on my work. And again, I was shocked. I could go deeper and faster into creative flow. I didn't have that attention resonance that psychologists talk about when you stop one task and move on to another one very quickly, which you know pretty much destroys all of your focus. Now, the great thing was that these three barriers to optimal creativity were under my control. I had the power to change them and see the results very quickly, which then fed into the feedback loop of improvement we all feel when we punch through to that next layer of ability. You know that feeling. It's great, isn't it? But there was one more problem, and this I quickly realized was more of a lifelong pursuit, something that has so many tentacles and is certainly the subject of many future podcasts. I analyzed myself continuously at the end of every day and realized that a negative emotional state sucks creative energy out of me like a vacuum cleaner. If I had had disagreements with the director that day, you know, some kind of creative differences that were quite negative, if I thought that they were being rude to me or throwing their ego around the edit suite unnecessarily, this burned through my creative energy as quickly as wildfire and I couldn't get inspired. It was another in a long line of painful revelations made even more painful because this time I saw it as being completely out of my control. I couldn't affect anyone else's behavior and that made me even more stressed about the situation. Or so I thought. Now, I want to go deeper into client relationships in future episodes, dear friends, is there is an incredible array of interesting psychological angles to working through difficult collaborations in the edit room. I can think of no less than five podcast topics right now that warrant further investigation and discussion, but I'll leave them for our talks over the coming months. That being said, one aspect of negative client relationships deserves a place in this discussion and the ensuing thoughts on how to negate their effects on our creative energy. And it's a broad topic, that of plain, good old-fashioned arguing with the client. I've had the pleasure of working with some truly gifted directors in my career, men and women who taught me an enormous amount about filmmaking by simply watching their raw footage and having the privilege of discussing with them for weeks and months on end the building of their film. Any editor will tell you that when you work with gifted directors and producers, we get a kind of creative elevation in our own abilities, almost by osmosis. But, unfortunately, many editors also have the opposite story. Difficult directors or egotistical directors who are more interested in being right than making the best film. Luckily, these are few and far between, but I and a great many of my peers can tell you a story or two from their career about a director who will creatively cut their nose off to spite their face in the edit suite. They'll deliberately assert power because you've questioned their decision in the wrong way, even if this change to the film makes it obviously worse. It sounds crazy, but it does happen. Psychologists call this elevated commitment, where the person literally elevates their commitment to a principle, even though they know it's wrong, as a sign of dominance and them trying to get out of trouble. If you'd like to see real-time examples of this, 
study politicians. Some of them are masters at it. But in the cutting room, I found that power and creativity are, to say the least, nervous bedfellows. I found that if I didn't come at this from the correct psychological or behavioral or philosophical perspective, my creative energy would be diverted away from the film into that voice in my head we all have, screaming injustice at this director for a vast percentage of the day. And that is a bad creative investment. Now, like I said, this is an enormous subject and we will go into it in detail over the coming months. But one thing I came to realize was arguing was absolutely futile in this situation. Not just to de-escalate the issue, but to dissolve my negative state of mind and return to high-level creative flow states. When confronted by these luckily rare situations, I just let go and acquiesced because it wasn't about creativity. What was I going to achieve by digging my heels in and confronting? Who knew the damage that this person could do to my career by talking to other directors? We have to tread a very delicate balance throughout our career, especially if we're freelance. Crafting our reputation and making sure it's blemish-free is so important. And so getting into personality or creativity clashes for no obvious benefit is like pouring our creative potential down the drain. I remember reading this story about the great Renaissance artist Michelangelo when he was carving his famous sculpture David. He'd spent an enormous amount of time working on this masterpiece and his client, the mayor of the city he was in, I think it was Rome, I'm not sure, he wanted to have a look before anyone else. Looking at the sculpture, the mayor wanted to appear knowledgeable in the arts and said to the great master, um, I think the nose is too big. Michelangelo, noticing that he was standing in a position underneath that would not give the correct perspective, immediately nodded his head. Instead of arguing with the man, he got up on a stool with his chisel and from an angle where the mayor could not see the contact point, he pretended to chip away at the nose. Now, secretly beforehand, he'd grabbed a pile of marble dust and let it fall right next to the mayor as he pretended to chisel away. There, he said. Is that better? He asked the mayor. Yeah, I like it better now, said the mayor. Nothing was done but honour was saved and Michelangelo had kept his options open for the future. I love that story. And many an editor can tell you the classic secret trick when you've got an argumentative client who wants to make changes and they're arguing just for the sake of it. When watching a cut with your difficult director, you deliberately put in a terrible edit 20 or 30 seconds in, which is so obvious. The director sees it, starts scribbling feverishly in their notes about this one thing, and all of your other creative ideas slip nicely under the radar. That is the 21st century editor's version of Michelangelo's trick, 500 years later. Conserve your energy and walk away, Paddy, if you can see no upside to a confrontation in the edit suite. And so these are some of the fruits of what I learned after that painful burnout all those years ago. Some or none may be applicable to you, dear friends, but think of them as interchangeable internal issues that we all have. My goal with this podcast is to help you fine-tune aspects of your creative ability, wherever they are, so that you can rise up 
to the higher realms in the editing universe. And so take these issues that I had problems with, and if they don't affect you, ask yourself what yours are. Are there things in your life that if you got rid of, if you deleted, if you stopped, if you changed, if you streamlined, whatever, they would channel your creative energy, that beautiful yet finite resource we all have, into the place where it's most effective, our timelines. I leave you this week with those absorbing questions. I hope you enjoyed this week's creative discussion, dear friends. I think it's a fascinating subject that sits alongside our creative abilities. Do let me know what you think by emailing me at podcast at insidetheedit.com. Now, if you'd like to learn the actual art of editing and not just the software, then come and join the industry's only pro-level creative editing course. We are used by many of the world's biggest broadcasters, production companies, news organizations, marketing companies, and social media giants, as well as thousands of independent filmmakers and editors around the world. Creative editing is a language, and we give you a step-by-step guide through hundreds of techniques, concepts, and stylization principles throughout our 100 tutorial course. You can try it for free. Just sign up to our two-week trial over at InsideTheEdit.com. There is zero commitment. You don't need a credit card. And at the end of the two weeks, you get a 25% discount code off of all our memberships. So, summer just got a bit more intense. This time next week, you'll be able to book onto the very first Inside the Edit Summer School in August. And boy, is this going to be a stacked creative course. One week, six sessions, 24 hours of creative edit training. We're going to set you daily tasks. We're going to have masterclasses every single day. There's going to be live editing demos as well as tons of sequence and stylizational analysis. Your creativity is going to shoot through the roof. But most importantly, you'll get what training centers and film schools can never provide. Professional one-to-one feedback. Pro-level feedback simply doesn't exist in the industry, anywhere. How do you know what level your editing abilities are at? How do you know where your weak points are? The simple answer is you can't. Having a pro-level editor give you detailed feedback on your work will literally save you years of guesswork. Every editor on the Inside the Edit Summer School gets two half-hour private sessions with me. Now, because of the intimate nature of the course, we are only opening this up to a very small group of editors. And so booking early is definitely a good idea if you'd like to join us for this amazing creative week. I'll be announcing details of that on next week's show.
Well, that's a wrap for episode 14 of season two, dear friends. I would like to raise my glass to those lovely people over at Universal Production Music who supply all the music to every single thing we do at Inside the Edit. If you like any of these tracks and you think they'll be perfect for something you're cutting right now, as usual, go on over to the podcast page at insidetheedit.com and you'll find all the links and track names so you can license them for your current project. Please, please, please don't forget to tag us on social. And if our show has helped you out creatively, we'd really appreciate it if you share it with your filmmaking friends. But if you have 30 seconds to spare, a rate and review on Apple Podcasts is really, really appreciated. Thank you so much for being part of the Inside the Edit community. Have a great weekend, dear friends, wherever you are in the world, and I will see you next week on another episode of Once Upon a Timeline. In the meantime, stay cool, stay safe, and stay cutting.